everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. Andrea Marr has had a fascinating career trajectory. She is a nuclear engineer. She served in the U.S. Navy in the Persian Gulf. She's volunteered on a solar panel project in Nicaragua, and now she leads the city of Costa Mesa, California as the mayor pro tem. And she's also a Strong Towns member. What is the connection between these different roles and experiences? Well, for Mar, it's about wanting to serve something beyond herself. And you'll hear a lot more about that from her. In her current position as city councilor, mayor pro tem, she has dedicated herself over the last few years to helping shift the culture around biking and walking in her region. For a car-dominated place like Southern California, it's definitely not easy, but Mar is a big believer in the power of incremental progress. She's also been working on economic development efforts and helping the city improve after some dysfunctional leadership. Andrea Marr is yet another badass Strongtowns advocate in local government and an engineer pushing for change. I'm excited for you to hear her story. Andrea Marr, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's great to talk with you today. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. To start out, can you share how you got connected with Strong Towns in the first place? You know, we've got a number of folks in our community, live in Costa Mesa, California, who have been followers of the Strong Towns movement for some time and actually saw it on social media. They were posting articles from Strong Towns and I was really intrigued by what I was reading. And then I had the opportunity to meet Chuck Marone a couple of years ago when he came to Santa Ana for um, one of the Strong Towns events. And a number of folks in the city made a big deal out of attending as a group. And I thought it was fascinating and have been a fan ever since. That's great to hear. I always like to find out how people you know, originally got connected. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely want to get to hearing about your city council leadership. But first, um, I know that you served for many years in the U.S. Navy. And thank you for your service. What was that experience like and how does that background then influence your choice to get involved um, later in local government and leadership? Uh, Thanks. Yeah, that's a a great question because for me, there's really a through line there. I was motivated to find some way to serve something bigger than myself, which is why I joined the military in the first place. I was a nuclear engineer on an aircraft carrier for my last two years in the Navy. And that was the coolest job ever. Um, I had an amazing group of sailors that I had the opportunity to lead. I was very pale because I was like seven stories below the waterline in the basement of the ship for most of the time. But I loved being in the Navy. I had an opportunity to deploy three times in five years. And most of those you know, were directly um, in the Persian Gulf and uh there was a real sense that we were doing something that something that the country needed us to do. So, yeah, I, I loved my service. I had a I had a really great time. I thought I might get sort of pigeonholed in that one role, which is really the only reason why I got out of the Navy is because I didn't want to just do that one job for the rest of my life. But um, I really I really enjoyed my service. I know that you have spent time in other parts of the world during your service, and then um, I believe also in maybe Nicaragua and Italy. Um, <laughs> yeah, how did how do all those travels impact the way that you see your community back home in Costa Mesa? 
Yeah. I, so when I was seven years old, we moved to Italy because my dad got a job working as a contract employee for the State Department. Um, and so I had this really odd childhood um, in Europe where I'd spend summers working at the Sonic in Lafayette, Colorado at my grandparents' house. And then I'd you know, go, back to, go back to Italy for the rest of the school year. And I love the opportunity to see different places, the walkability. I took public transportation throughout high school, uh, took a bus and then the metro to get to my high school. And so just seeing just a different way of, of getting around, a different way of of living was really fascinating. And then my mom is from Nicaragua. So after I got out of the Navy, I wasn't quite ready to get a regular nine to five yet. And so I moved to Nicaragua for six months and volunteered with a nonprofit that installed solar really out in very remote locations where they were never going to get a utility line connection. And so I had this great hands-on engineering experience, but at the same time, got to understand better where my mom was from. <laughs> my Spanish got a lot better. And just again, really, you know, traveling and, and meeting people from different, very different backgrounds than myself. And so, yeah, I feel like all of those experiences have kind of come together in Costa Mesa. So, you know, we're a community that is considered very eclectic. That's that's the thing. That's the term you'll hear over and over again about um, Costa Mesa because we do. We have people from all over the world. We are very ethnically diverse. We have food from all over the world. We're sort of figuring out like what kind of town we want to be as we see changes in you know retail and demographics and everything else, just like everyone else. When did you first move to Costa Mesa? So I moved there about 10 years ago, um, and it was really, I, I had gotten a job, and they were opening an office nearby. I, I really missed Southern California, and so I raised my hand to transfer, um, and I'd been stationed in San Diego for a little while while I was in the Navy, so it was just totally kind of random. I didn't, I didn't actually know very much about Costa Mesa at all until I moved there. And then clearly you've you know become very invested in that community. What led you to getting involved in local government and eventually running for office? So at the time that I moved there, there was a lot of controversy and instability. The city council at the time was very politically ideological. They had essentially issued layoff notices to most of the city staff with the idea of outsourcing city hall and that everything could be accomplished if you just wrote a contract and had cheaper labor do it. There was a suicide of a city worker at City Hall as a result. It was in the paper. It was very, um, you know, it was very front and center. If you live there, it was hard not to kind of hear rumblings about what is going on at City Hall. And so I, I just started showing up at community meetings and learning a little bit more. And then I got I got invested in in really making sure that the city got better. It was such a cool place. It had all these great attributes, but man, how are you supposed to get anywhere with a city council like that? So I actually I volunteered for two city committees. I was on the cultural arts committee and then also on the bikeway and walkability committee. And that was the first year they had ever had a bikeway and walkability committee. So it was a great way to really start off thinking about, well, how, how do we plan for biking and walking? And what, what is important for folks who don't have a car? So that one thing led to another after that. Yeah, I feel like uh, being part of city committees is a common route that eventually people are like, okay, what's the next step here if I want to, you know, take a take another step in leadership. So, 
Very cool. And now you are a city councilor in the the mayor pro tem. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's just a, a fancy way of saying the, the vice mayor, which is also just a fancy way of saying I have to fill in when the mayor's uh, out sick. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's, about That's it. important. What, um, what issues have you been working on during your time in office so far? Uh, you know, with the last year and a half being COVID, it's been a little uh, different than different than normal. But we've been doing a lot, um, a lot related to biking and walking. Certainly, I've been really interested in economic development and economic growth. How do we make sure that we maintain those eclectic, family-owned small businesses? We've also been doing a little bit more on sustainability. So in you know, city council is a part-time job. I get paid like a hundred bucks a week or so to, to do it. And my, in my normal day job, I work in energy efficiency and renewable energy. So I've been very concerned with how does the city, how do we do our part on climate change? How do we become more sustainable? And then I, we were just spending a ton of money on electricity was the other thing too. I mean, it was like a $1.7 million line item in our budget. There's been a couple of my sort of pet projects that I've managed to get accomplished, like EV charging stations and energy efficiency at City Hall. But but more than anything, I've just been concerned with how do we make sure that this whole city kind of keeps growing and keeps prospering and that, and the other part is to make sure everyone in the community has a voice. Part of me running for city council in the first place was we, we went to district elections, which meant that I, I really just had to represent my community, like my neighborhood. And that allowed a whole bunch of us who probably wouldn't have been able to win in an, in an expensive, much higher profile citywide race, we could represent our neighborhoods. That that was way more doable as a, a method of sort of governmental representation. If I can ask, like, what are some of the bike walk things that you've been doing to help make Costa Mesa more bikeable and walkable? Yeah, it, you know, it's really a question of um, priorities. There's this expression that's like, you know, your your budgets are indications of your values. And so it's really been, you know, how do we make sure that the projects that we think are the most important actually get funded and actually get prioritized and pushed through? There's so many competing demands on streets, especially, right? Which ones do we repave and where do we put in a new stop sign? Um, making sure that we're prioritizing some of the spending and and the funding on um, projects that in some cases have actually been in the works for a while, but kept getting backburnered and backburnered. I think the other thing that's really come up um, with COVID in particular is just seeing the opportunity that's there. So, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal if we block some parking spaces and put restaurant tables outside maybe people are going to walk if they realize there's less parking. Taking advantage of those opportunities is kind of the next thing we're working on or that I'm really focused on is um, how do we institutionalize some of the change that we actually saw occurring over the last year and a half. And has it been fairly well received? Like, was there already kind of a culture of biking and walking in Costa Mesa or is it, you know, a learning curve and people are like slowly getting on board? Oh, I definitely think it's a learning curve. We're Southern California, right? We're in our cars all the time. We watch car chases on TV. Like we talk about how to get anywhere by how many freeways you're on, right? <laughs> like it's not, um, it's an incredibly difficult place to get around long distances with anything other than a car. But I, I feel like there's been this um, this realization that like, 
actually, it, it makes way more sense to like go get my coffee like next door, right? I can support that local business, especially during COVID. Um, hey, you know, parking's terrible there. So like, let's go the long way so that we can ride our bikes there. It might be, you know, a little safer if we do it this way, but I don't want to have to look for parking later. So I, I feel like there's sort of incremental changes that are starting to add up. And I will say even in my own you know, personal life, um, you know, my, my husband this year is like, I don't want anything for Christmas except an electric bike. Like that was the thing that, you know, um, and it's because, you know, we live in a neighborhood where, yeah, we can go to a brewery that's a mile away by bike. And why wouldn't we do that? Um, and so we've, I've seen sort of these little incremental changes at the city level that, gosh, maybe have taken three or four years actually start to impact my own family in terms of how we think about getting around the city. Yeah, no, we're all about incremental changes at Strong Town. So I love that. <laughs> um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do you ensure in your work that you're really listening to the needs and concerns of your constituents in this district that you represent? I, you know, I feel like that's one that I um, beat myself up about constantly, like, am I hearing all of the voices, right? Am I accessible enough? Am I responsive enough? Um, I think it's, you know, it's hard with kind of a full-time job. It's not like I just walk or like roam the neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, how do you um, make sure that you're, you're hearing everyone? Part of it is, you know, one of our jobs is we get to appoint people to those committees that we're talking about at the beginning, the bikeway and the cultural arts. And so, I've been trying to be intentional about all of my nominations being people who, you know, probably haven't served on a committee before. Definitely we're seeing more young people volunteer. And I I think that's amazing. So I think that's probably the biggest way. I'm also, you know, I'm on social media and all the things and I try to be pretty responsive on there too. I think think most people know they can just pick up the phone and, and give me a call about whatever it is, but I will always, I don't know what the silver bullet is. It's it's really hard to feel like you truly are able to engage people. And I think it's something a lot of us wrestle with quite often, actually. Yeah, absolutely. You're bringing something up for me too, which is this like challenge of the fact that I think most city councilors across America and plenty of mayors, frankly, are not doing it as their full-time job. Um, right. How do you like juggle that? And how do you find the time for all of your different responsibilities. Yeah. I mean, some days I'm better at it than other days, Rachel. (laughs) I'm totally honest, right? Um, I'm lucky I work. I have a pretty flexible job. I'm, you know, I'm at work right now. (laughs) Um, And I can shift back and forth without, uh, you know, without anybody really kind of uh, being too concerned about it. But I think it's a huge problem. I, I will say, though, I actually think this is also related to more women serving in office because it's this idea of sort of incrementally getting more and more involved um, and then realizing that you can sort of balance the two in in elected jobs where it's a part-time job. So there's like a lot of research that's like, okay, well, fewer women want to like run for Congress, right? Like quit everything and, and go be like the the person on a hill. But way more people, especially women and especially young people and especially people of color, are far more likely to say, well, I can represent my neighborhood like that is I can balance that with the rest of my life. So I actually think it's a really we're at a really interesting turning point, too, in terms of elected politics, because we're seeing so many more people kind of put that together and and run for office accordingly. 
That's great to hear. I hope that trend continues. I hope so too. Yeah. What are some of the results that you're most proud of so far um, as the, like during your time as city councilor or, you know, in the committees that you were part of before that too? Like what are, what are some of the things that you're proud of during your time in leadership? Oh gosh. Uh, yeah, that's a hard one because it does feel so incremental so often. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the, everyone wants their name on a building or something, but half the time it's like the incremental change you make could have a bigger impact. Um, we actually just cut the ribbon on um, a bike path that goes right next to our community college. And it's part of sort of making the whole network a little bit more connective. I was just really, really excited to see that finally get done. I, I think the other part, and this is kind of a squishy answer, again, is like the relationships we've built. So the community college and then the fairgrounds are literally across the street from each other and both in my in my district. Um, and I've had just so many opportunities for productive exchange. The, you know, the fairground hosted COVID testing and vaccinations and everything else. Um, the fair was willing to like host parking when there were overflow events at the, or excuse me, the community college hosted things for the fair. And that relationship between the two has been something that I think has benefited the whole neighborhood. But again, that's kind of like, that's kind of squishy, right? Like if I talk about my total accomplishments, um, I think that's really important. It's super important. Um, The other thing is we've hired a sustainability manager at the city. So again, this idea of like making change from within is more effective. You know, we could, we could pass some mandates for a couple of things we could do, but there's nothing like having someone working inside the system every single day to identify opportunities where we could be doing something better as a city. So just getting her position funded and getting her hired is actually one of the things I'm the most proud of. Yeah, that's definitely an accomplishment. And then what are you looking forward to in the future? You know, in 2022, are there any new projects or like ongoing things that you're especially involved with? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited because, um, the beginning of next year, we're going to pass our housing elements. So that really lays the groundwork for most of the next decade in terms of where and how we're going to build housing. That's obviously been a huge topic of conversation in California. But one of the things that's going to come out of that process in this idea of kind of where do we build housing is I want to take another look at our corridors in particular. So kind of surrounding my district, um, there's three major thoroughfares that have pretty aging retail on either side of them. And we know that those are actually opportunities for much more creative uses, including some housing, including setbacks that allow more bike paths, including a lot of the a lot of the things that we all think we care about, we all say we care about, we can actually start writing into our planning documents for how to reshape the vision of what these corridors look like. And so, you know, I I think I will be long gone from city council by the time some of these plans actually get enacted. But I'm really excited to play a part in at least laying the groundwork for what is what is the next iteration of of these major thoroughfares look like going into the future. Lots of great stuff. To zoom out a little bit, I know that you are your professional engineer. Um, we obviously have plenty of engineers involved in Strong Towns, like Chuck Rounds, <laughs> uh, who founded Strong Towns. Um, how how does that like engineer mindset help 
guide the way you see your your city? Does that do you feel that coming through in the work that you do? Um, I do. I think it's the energy piece as well as just the engineering piece, but it's um, we have an interesting balance on council. You know, we've got a lawyer, but then we've also got two of us who have mechanical, well, she's got a mechanical engineering degree. I've got an aerospace engineering degree. And actually, sorry, we've got two lawyers, so two lawyers and two engineers. And I feel like we, we balance each other out in a really interesting way, just being able to pivot back and forth between the, the details and then the policy you know, I'm not I'm not the city engineer, right? They're not paying me to stamp any drawings or anything, but it does help to be able to have an eye towards that detail. And then conversely, sometimes you need to step way back and, and zoom out and say, actually, you know, I don't, probably don't need to like look at the plans and specs for this. I, I need to figure out what what is the policy. So I don't know that I can point to the specific thing, but I think it really helps to have a range of perspectives on city council, including engineers. Yeah, it makes sense. To close us out here, I always ask, what advice would you give to someone who's listening that would want to step up and take leadership in their community um, in the way that you did, maybe by joining a committee or even running for city council someday? What what advice would you offer? I mean, I think just like, just figure out how to get involved, right? It doesn't have to be a 40 hours a week. It can be like, we're going to incremental is the theme of this conversation, right? But it can be, it can be some way of getting involved. Your city council members are there to represent you. So contact them and ask to get coffee. Um, I have met the most interesting people and may been able to make the best connections by really just having, you know, a, a 20 minute coffee or going for a walk or, or meeting up with people who are curious about city government or curious about how to get involved there's so much opportunity for people to, to step in and play a part in the communities that they live in. Um, just, you know, do, do something, I think, is what I would recommend. Well, thank you so much, Andrea Marr, for being on the show. Um, it was wonderful to talk with you and to just hear your insights. So, so appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. Thanks so much for listening. I'm loving sharing these interviews with you um, this week, last week, and uh, the next one or two interviews are items that I recorded last year in 2021. Um, and it's great to finally be bringing them to you after a little content break for the holidays. As a reminder, we just started selling tickets for our second annual local motive tour. This is a series of 10 online events that are going to equip you with the tools that you need to build a stronger town. We have got topics ranging from zoning code reforms to questions to ask a candidate running for local office to fixing a dangerous street. Um, You can grab a ticket to just one of those sessions or you can grab the whole, we call it the round trip tour, and then you'll be uh, given access to all 10 events. So tickets are, we try to keep them pretty affordable. It's $25 for an individual event or $125 for all 10. So definitely get a big discount if you grab that round trip ticket. And Strong Towns members get 20% off on everything. So head to strongtowns.org slash locomotive. That's L-O-C-A-L-M-O-T-I-V-E. And you can see all the info there. The tour kicks off at the beginning of February, so definitely grab your ticket soon if you want to make sure you don't miss anything. 
I also wanted to let you know we have some new columns that we just started publishing uh, in the new year. Last week, we kicked off our new neighborhood storyteller column. We met this wonderful woman named Carla, who is going to be every week telling us stories about life in her neighborhood and the small things that she is doing to make it a stronger town. We had, I believe, over 150 applicants for this position. It was The hiring process was a couple months ago, so it's a little fuzzy right now, but it was uh, really, really challenging to choose someone. We encountered so many fascinating people uh, who have great stories to tell. And Carla was the one that ended up rising to the top. So I'm um, excited for you to read that column if you want. It's going to be published every Tuesday morning on our site. We also kicked off a new community building column uh, written by John Pattison, who you guys know, he was our content manager for a while at Strong Towns, and now he's our uh, new community builder. So he's going to be telling stories from towns across the country that are doing great work, um, particularly he's focused on communities that have Strong Towns local conversation groups, that's groups that are really focusing on taking Strong Towns action. So he's going to be sharing those stories and some of his own reflections on community building that he's doing. That column is going to be coming out every Wednesday, I believe Wednesday mornings. And then finally, we're also doing a new fiction series, which is a totally new venture for Strong Towns. That's going to be Friday mornings. And uh, I'm not going to say too much more about it, but check it out. So lots to plug in with in the new year and lots more to come. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading our site if you're a reader. And thanks to all the Strong Towns members out there who make all this work possible. If you'd like to join as a member, visit strongtowns.org membership. All right, we will see you back here next week and have a great rest of your week. Take care.